On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC. Redesign your organisation. Reinvent your capabilities. Reimagine your future. On News Talk. Tomorrow, September the 18th, is the anniversary of the passing of Jimi Hendrix, a man who was born on November the 27th, a birthday shared by many fine broadcasters. Uh, To quote Guitar Player magazine, uh, Jimi Hendrix changed everything. What don't we owe? Jimi Hendrix uh, remarkably of course only 27 at the time of his passing despite everything that he accomplished uh, in his career Hendrix was the world's highest paid performer in his day maybe still the most influential guitarist there has ever been a lesser known story a lesser known dimension of the story of Jimi Hendrix uh, concerns a band uh, that he produced an Irish band called Era Apparent uh, from Belfast not alone appearing on their album but also helping to put the whole thing together one of several surprising connections between Hendrix and Ireland and Donald Fallon is on the line to talk us uh, all about it uh, Donald hello 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 uh, we won't quite call Hendrix the greatest guitarist of all time because Rory Gallagher exists uh, but he he was certainly the most successful guitarist of all time yeah, hello from Portumna. I never thought I'd say that on the radio. We better pause for a second and explain why you're in Portumna. Yeah, I was at the Shorelines Arts Festival last night. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So yeah, dialing it in. But look, we, we won't <laughs> Literally risk the ire of, of, right. of Ballyshannon uh, or Cork by proclaiming Hendrix to be the greatest guitar player of all time. I mean, the Irish can't even agree on where, where Rory Gallagher came from. Well, yes, the only thing we agree yeah. on is that he was, as far as we're concerned, the greatest guitarist of all time. But, I mean, what we're talking about today is something different. I think, you know, Jimi Hendrix commercially was an unrivaled figure in 20th century guitar music. And it's probably fairer to describe Gallagher as your your favourite guitarist's favourite guitarist. Yes, yeah, very much so. Uh, the Hendrix story begins, uh, as all these stories tend to do, uh, he becomes in, in very, very humble backgrounds. I love the way he described his own youth. He says, I was 14 or 15 when I started playing guitar. I played in my backyard at home. Kids used to gather around and said it was cool. Then I got tired of the guitar and put it aside. But when I heard Chuck Berry, it revived my interest. Isn't that, that brilliant? It, it, it it's, was, it's mad that he only started at 14 or 15 because you think a guy that sounded so prodigious and who died at only 27, you'd think he was nearly born holding the thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's Chuck Berry, it's Muddy Waters and a kind of consciousness of that kind of you know black music that mm. shapes the young... The young Hendrix. And I love how one, one contemporary, one friend described him later on. You know, talking about a 15-year-old Hendrix as being like a combination of John Lee Hooker and Beethoven. Now, you know, everyone's heard <laughs> the name Beethoven. Yeah. Hooker uh, might be a different name for, for people. He was an adored blues singer and guitarist. But what made him so important, he came to prominence because he performed an, an electric guitar. So okay. you have to take the blues and to bring it over to the, the to the electric right. sound. Okay. And look, I mean, the fact that we even know the name Jimi Hendrix is kind of good luck because, you know, in the, the 60s, he's kind of lucky to be alive. He'd been in the army, a former serviceman. Uh, and when they booted him out, his, his platoon sergeant had a, a, a lovely report. He said he has no interest whatsoever in the army. It is my opinion that Private Hendrix will never come up to the standards required of a soldier. I feel that the military service will benefit if he's discharged as soon as possible. <laughs> so, you know, wow. They were sending they were sending just about anything with two arms and two legs off to off to Vietnam. Yeah. But you know, thankfully it wasn't to be uh, for Jimi Hendrix. Uh, and, and Army's loss was music's gain. Uh, the place where it all begins to take off though is a part of the world that might be a little bit more familiar to Irish ears. Yeah, absolutely. And we we've we've talked about it so many times on on this slot. This kind of young guitarist, this singer, uh, he emerges in that kind of Greenwich village New York City scene mm. and if listeners are saying oh they've talked about Greenwich Village before in this slot Indeed we, have. we would have been talking about the Clancy Brothers mm. but you know Greenwich Village had everything imaginable every kind of music scene uh, was taking off there from from you know folk music to, to electric guitar music but it's there really in Greenwich Village that he meets the people who kind of open the door if you will 
uh, to London and to a world of musical possibilities. So while Hendrix is made in America, you know, his career really erupts in Britain. Yeah, uh, there's often said to have been just one Irish gig, this kind of mythical thing that like, Hendrix only visited the island once and only played one gig. But in fact, though, if you do a full rundown, there were two Irish gigs. Yeah, and this was how promoters used to do it. Even the Beatles, you know, when they when they came to Dublin, they did two gigs on the same day, and mm. the Rolling Stones, the same. But Hendrix plays his only Irish gigs, plural, uh, on his birthday, uh, 27 November, mm. 1967, uh, at Queen's University in Belfast. <laughs> yeah, the, I love the Belfast Telegraph review. I mean, uh, the journalist who wrote this must have looked back years later and said, what was I thinking? The noise being blasted out at the hall last night during the Jimi Hendrix concert was the loudest I have ever heard. It was so bad you could feel your insides and even your chair <laughs> resonating. <laughs> yeah. like, it, it's weird hearing the idea that he was playing the Whittler Hall because the only times that I've ever been there, I've been there for work and it was for various anniversary stuff around the Good Friday Agreement and you're, you're looking there and you're seeing, oh look, there's Hillary Clinton, or there's Bill Clinton, or there's George Mitchell on a stage. The idea that Jimi Hendrix played on the same stage to the same hall is kind of mad to me. It's just mad. And I know in your, your time in, in, in UCD, we were talking about this before, like student publications and student media and all of that. Mm. Hendrix actually gives an interview. The only interview he ever gives in Ireland is with a, a student magazine in Queens. Amazing. Called The Gown, Amazing. which is just mad. And we all remember those student magazines, you know, the, the, the tick staples and the photocopy yeah, pages. Yeah. Uh, but the way they write about him is great. Offstage, Hendrix is mild, affable and unassuming. He sat in the dressing room, temporarily detached from the bevy of road managers and munched birthday cake. He constantly strummed the guitar covered in psychedelic patterns. Just amazing to imagine him sitting there in Queens strumming away. Yeah, uh, I, I actually I find it really romantic and really nice and really heartwarming the idea that he winds down by still strumming the same guitar. You'd think that he'd sort of be like, no, I'm off work now, but he's still still doing it. Uh, what many people don't know, and this is where we get to the crux of the story for today, is that th- there's an Irish band who are part of the whole Hendrix story. Yeah, in that very same year that he plays Queens, he, he crosses paths with this emerging Irish band and the name that they land on. It's actually a brilliant name, isn't it? Era Apparent. Isn't mm, that fantastic? Yeah. Uh, they come from the northern music scene. Some of them go on to big things. Uh, Henry McCullough. Henry McCullough, later the only Irish man to play the Woodstock Festival, which is you know a great wow. claim to fame. Yeah. But they're signed in 1967 uh, by Chris Chandler and Mike Jeffrey from The Animals. And they go for that name. They go, look, era apparent. That's the name. Trying to cash in, if you will, on mm. their Irishness in Britain. And not only are they on Jimmy's label, uh, he produces the album. And you know what? I actually think it's, it's a pretty good album. I mean, most people probably haven't heard it. Uh, and they all went on to, to mad things. I mean, Henry McCullough from the group joined Sweeney's Men, a really defining folk group. Uh, then he was in Wings for a little while. He's on that Wings, very controversial track, Give Ireland Back. Back to the Irish. Oh, okay. that's, that's, that's an extraordinarily rare record now. You know, people go people go looking for that on, on Discogs. Set you back about £250. God, wow, but really? Era apparent. I mean, they, they toured North America with the Jimi Hendrix experience and Soft Machine. And then they just kind of disappeared. You know, mm. broke up quietly in, in 1970. But that has to be one of the weirdest the most overlooked yeah. Irish records of that time. I uh, shouldn't have been too surprised that uh, one of them appeared on the, the McCartney track because I, I did think that era apparent did sound like it was sort of presaging the constitutional status of the six counties <laughs> if they were sort of talking about that. Some of the members popped up in some other kinds of unexpected places as well. Yeah, if you play Pink Floyd's album, what, what an amazing album that is, Dark, Dark Side of the Moon, at the very end of the track Money, you actually hear 
Henry McCullough's voice oh. uh, very briefly. So mm. he, he, Henry played everywhere, you know, from from Woodstock to Paul McCartney. Mm. But this Jimi Hendrix record is definitely the the weirdest moment of a weird career. Mm. Um, so those two Hendrix gigs, the only gigs he ever played in Ireland, they were in the Whitlow Hall uh, on the grounds of Queen's University. He never made it to Dublin. Uh, we did sort of get kind of half close to, to Jimi Hendrix playing in Dublin, though, back in 2013. Yeah. People might remember seeing Jimi Hendrix walking around Dublin, uh, and it wasn't Jimi Hendrix at all. It was the brilliantly named Andre 3000. From Outcast. Uh, Outcast. Ah. <laughs> yeah, they were making that Jimi Hendrix biopic. And unfortunately, the, the movie's pretty forgettable, to be honest. But uh, not for the first time or the last time, a, a director felt that Dublin looked like a better London than London. So that, <laughs> well, I suppose we've got, the, we've got the Georgian bits that are all still there, so it probably exactly. makes for a more contemporary setting, yeah. That always happens. You know, streets like Henrietta Street are always used to evoke a, a London that just doesn't exist uh, anymore. So yeah, Andre was swanning around Dublin as Jimi Hendrix. That's the closest uh, that we've ever got. But there's a lovely weird little connection between Hendrix and, and Dublin, because anyone in, in Mayfair in London who'll go and visit the Hendrix house, mm. it's a big, big attraction, there's a plaque on the wall to Jimi Hendrix, there's another plaque to George Frederick Handel because they lived in the same house. They lived in the just, same house? I, no, not at the same time. Yeah, no, I presume that. <laughs> you had the great 18th century composer who brought the Messiah to Dublin. Yeah, premiered and, on Fishamble Street, yeah. Yeah, and, and Hendrix. It's uh, it's known as the, or was known as the Handel Hendrix Museum, which is just yeah. absolutely extraordinary. So that that's an incredible level of musical genius and energy isn't it yeah God, so that, they may have lived centuries apart but the energy of those two men in that one place yeah, is that, incredible that's a brand collaboration I could get behind it's like <laughs> Hendrix X Handel um, it's hard to get away from the feeling though that Hendrix you know even though he'd accomplished so much that he had so much more to give before he died yeah what an, like 27 27 and uh, an overdose meant I suppose that he left the world tragically young but you get that very strange thing that can happen where you know, Amy Winehouse's funeral comes to mind as well, mm. where you, you have a funeral attended by some of his own heroes. You know, yeah. Miles Davis uh, is in the audience at the funeral. And the New York Times obituary is just marvellous. Jimi Hendrix is dead. He was 27. He was a star, as brightly gorgeous a star as has ever graced rock and roll music. 27 is very young to die, even for a blues singer. And Jimi Hendrix was more than a star, a genius black musician, guitarist, singer and composer of brilliantly dramatic power. That's just the fantastic obituary yeah. but yeah era apparent there's a new one for most listeners yeah. and there's a record to get stuck into yeah there's one to go go traipsing down because uh, it, it sort of sounds like it does capture the time and to think that there was a, a Jimi Hendrix imprint on something that kind of sounds so much like his own music is, is fascinating to learn uh, a story told uh, with typical uh, bravery and wit as ever uh, by Donald Fallon who is the author of Henrietta Street and Tenement to Suburbia a plug of the street that he just mentioned he's also of course the author of Three Castles Burning which is the history of Dublin and Twelve Streets the Easton's book of the year uh, for 2020 to and of another forthcoming book more about which we might talk about next week or some other time On the Record with Gavin Riley Sunday morning at 11 Brought to you by PwC Redesign your organisation Reinvent your capabilities Reimagine your future On News Talk.